welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar interview leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar. In this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Gar and I chat with Oren Caniel, the co founder and CEO of AppsFlyer. So if you are in mobile, there's a really good chance that you use AppsFlyer to measure, analyze, and engage with customers. Over more than a decade, Oren and his team have built AppsFlyer into the premier SaaS mobile marketing analytics and attribution platform. But they, and really the entire mobile ecosystem, have gone through a very challenging shakeup over the past few years as Apple announced significant changes related to user privacy and sharing of personal data. How does a company approach a looming sea change? How do you keep your team focused on the mission when the ground is shifting beneath your feet? And how do you keep your customer or how do you help your customers navigate these challenges when they're really depending on you? So Ethan, do you think our audience will find answers to those questions today? I do. The, you know, the interesting thing about Apple's IDFA changes are that there was a long period between when they were announced and when they actually went into effect. I think it was well over a year. And in that time, like some of my mobile colleagues were predicting the demise of the apps flyers of the world and predicting that this would kill Facebook. But nobody really knew what the impacts would be because you couldn't really simulate the, those impacts. And if you're apps flyer and you're facing that, you have no choice but to just face it head on. But look, consumers were still going to use apps. They were going to play games, watch TikTok videos, post to social networks. Everyone had to figure it out. And ultimately, good companies with strong product market fit, those are the ones that were going to adapt and survive. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you and I worked together at Uproar through the dot-com craze and the eventual bubble burst. It was a crazy time, companies going out of business overnight, and our world was really turned upside down, but we never doubted for a minute that the web was here to stay. Yeah. And the companies that made it through that period were the ones who had that real product market fit, took a longer view of the world and had conviction to navigate those challenges. Right. And in this case, Oren never looked at the next year or two as a future. He was looking in five, 10 and 20 year chunks. And he asked this really great question to sort of frame how they manage through these challenges, which is what do we know won't change? Yeah, exactly. That to me was this incredibly poignant and valuable moment in this conversation that our listeners should uh, should pay attention to. Oren's convinced that ultimately the mobile marketing world after the shakeup is eventually going to get back to the same place it was at or even ahead of where it was and someone's going to win. So what does Oren know won't cha- what does Oren know won't change? He says that for the industry privacy and accuracy won't change and for his company customer obsession and enabling innovation isn't going to change. It's from that foundation that he's able to lead his team through the, the, this craziness. Yep. And to me, that's what's really instructive for our listeners. Change is all around you in digital all the time. You can count on that. But if you can find certainty in just a few areas, and especially if they're principled and mission-driven, you can navigate the uncertainty. For Oren, this has kind of become the norm. Now Google just announced that it has similar privacy plans and it's going to be implementing those plans in the not too distant future. Yeah. And I think there's something else here that our long-term listeners would pick up on. When you hear Oren describe how AppsFlyer's customer obsession has been such a focal point and how they've had to lead their customers through this change, it reminded me that fast-growing companies lead more than just their markets. They actually shape the landscape. Yeah. And I know where you're going with that. It's, it's really um, why we both love the EV box interview um, where we really dove into that. And, and you're right. You know, it's why community led growth is picking up steam. So another interview that we did was with Atlassian and how they're driving value across their vast portfolio. Essentially, companies that win aren't at the mercy of the winds. They really harness the winds. <laughs> I see what you did there, Sean. You turned up a sailing reference just to hook me there. <laughs> right. I did. And if you don't know, Ethan and I both love sailing. So sometimes we throw that into the mix. And particularly for me this week, I'm, uh, I'm about to leave for a thousand mile sailing race. So it's, it's really top of mind for me. But uh, Ethan, let's, let's keep things on track. Yeah. I'm super jealous of your thousand mile sailing trip, by the way. But uh, <laughs> sounds like a good idea. Let's jump in with Oren. All right. Hi, Oren. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. And I'm joined by my co-host, Ethan Gar. Hey, Ethan. Hey, Sean. Hey, Oren. Hey, what's up, Ethan? 
Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Yeah. So, so Oren, we, you know, we were looking at your LinkedIn uh, profile and it says, I'm having fun building the best company I would love to work for as an employee. Um, that's really cool. So yeah. uh, that's, that's that, the beauty of being a, a CEO is that, and, and founder is that you get to, uh, you get to, to shape that type of company. So for anyone in our audience that's not familiar with AppsFlyer, can you describe the company and really who wins with your service? So maybe, you know, I, first of all, thank you very much. I think that I'm um, very fortunate to actually building the company that I am an employee at. And I think that uh, I have some experience as being as an employee, both in big companies, enterprises and smaller companies. Uh, I learned a lot about the good stuff and challenging stuff. And this is what I've been, uh, been trying to do in the last 10 years. Uh, so maybe, you know, uh, I, I can start with the, with the absolute story and how it actually came about. I mean, it that would was, be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, uh, actually it was maybe 2010, I getting to 12 years. I got my first iPhone. Uh, I was working as a summer associate in, uh, in a VC in the East coast. Um, I did some work for them in, in the marketing and advertising uh, uh, vertical, I noticed a conflict of interest. Uh, so a lot of logos, um, I just didn't get which interest are they representing. In the end of the day, we have a market of buyers and sellers. Uh, buyers want to pay less and get more. Sellers want to uh, get paid more and, and get get paid more and, and do less. This is the nature of business. Uh, but but I, I just couldn't find any even one company that represents the buyers in this ecosystem and the buyer's interest and the brand and the, and the consumer companies, basically. I also noticed the lack of measurement. Uh, I just, you know, as an engineer, it was very hard for me to understand how companies making significant decisions in terms of budget allocations and et cetera, et cetera, without having any form of data. Uh, um, it just was mysterious for me. Um, then moving back uh, uh, to the first, actually the first 48 hours that I had my first iPhone, it was used. I bought it in Craigslist. Uh, this is how cheap I was. Uh, I, I, actually, I, I, I was sure. <laughs> uh, I, I was sure that that BlackBerry is the thing. So I was a BlackBerry user. I thought I thought that this is you know Apple do not have any any chance to just to just you know compete with that. Obviously, I was completely wrong, and I realized that in 2010, um, and I really wanted to be a part of this of this newly forming economy. Um, I, I think that I was pretty convinced that that mobile devices are going to change everything about every single thing in our lives, um, and uh, you know, unfortunately, or unfortunately, actually. So uh, back in the then 2010, 11, so all the major companies, you know, that revolutionized mobile, like uh, WhatsApp, like social networks, like uh, the Ubers and stuff like that, uh, been there already. Um, and I've been thinking about how can we build something of value to every single app developer so they can become successful in this emerging economy. Um, um, and this is this is this is basically what we're doing. I mean, solving this, these two kind of major things that we noticed: one, the lack of measurement, and maybe as an engineer, maybe as this is kind of my mindset of you know making logical decisions. Companies and people couldn't measure, and if you cannot measure, it cannot improve, and if you cannot improve, you cannot deliver value to end users. That's one. The second assumption that we had. Uh, that in order for us to be successful or, or trusted in this ecosystem, uh, we must be independent and unbiased in this ecosystem. Um, and specifically because we didn't come from advertising or marketing backgrounds, um, it was awesome thing to work with brands and to work with developers and work with marketers uh, so we can really understand how the day-to-day -day looks like and what is lacking um, and how we can improve their lives and, and, and help them make uh, be more successful. Um, and I think that this is also something that de have defined our kind of customer obsession kind of mindset because this is how it started, uh, really. So um, 
you know, really working with customers and understanding uh, their needs. So our platform is used by most of the consumer brands in the world. Um, you know, the bookings, Walmart, Alibaba, Nike, Visa, most of the major gaming companies and also banking companies. So it's kind of really uh, very, very diverse portfolio of companies. Actually, the last uh, interesting use case that uh, a company leveraged our technology is Coinbase with their Super Bowl ad uh, that we powered the experience and part of the measurement. So, um, and actually, these, these kind of things really makes me excited because uh, we are in the business of enabling business. We're enabling uh, uh, innovation to enable innovation with our customers and the ecosystem. Once customers start using our Universal SDK, because yeah, this is this is kind of based on our naturality in the market. Once they start using our SDK, when they start use our API, uh, they can go ahead and leverage any other market uh, company in the ecosystem. So our marketplace includes ten thousand different partners. So all the Facebooks, the Googles, and TikToks of the world, but also fifteen different verticals, tech verticals like all the marketing clouds like Salesforce, Adobe, Oracle. Um, any kind of analytics company or basically any company you can think of. Um, because basically what happened in order for us to do measurement for our customers, um, they need to store, leverage our cloud and store their consumer data. Um, and, and, and that just by the fact that it's already there in a very flexible format, they can go ahead um, and and, and, and leverage that and utilize that with different companies to, to kind of create this kind of collaboration uh, in the ecosystem. And I think that in the last, and maybe we're going to, going to talk about it a little bit today, uh, how in this privacy-preserving era, it's actually connecting the dots and with what we do in the last 10 years, just, you know, 2020 and 2021 and 22, actually kind of connecting the dots to everything that we've, we've done in the past, whether there's a lot, lot of lack in it or or different frameworks that we've done, but uh, really it's kind of a magically connecting everything together into, uh, into this, this time, which is, I think in the, it's extremely rare and unique time in the history of the digital economy. And specifically, I'm talking about the last two years and probably the next couple of years. Can I, I just want to jump in, Oren, and ask you a quick question. Going back to the early on, I mean, 2010, 2011 is really early on in this mobile e ecosystem. Did companies realize they needed the things that you were offering that early? Or was it a, early on, was it a different challenge? And I, now people, everybody knows they need an apps flyer or they need a mobile measurement platform to help them. But back then, were, was it really a, a process of educating them? First of all, yes. And it's, it's interesting because you said 2010 or 2011 or 2012 was early. It was early when we uh, nine, nine and 10 years ago. Uh, if you look at uh, 2022, 10 years from today, it will be very early in different aspects that are happening these days. Um, and I can tell you that when, when we started to work in the ecosystem, we really felt like the consumer business is, I wouldn't say saturated, but really all the major components were there. Basically, we, we selected B2B because it's more fun to us, uh, enabling uh, other companies to do great things. Uh, and we also wanted to, uh, to minimize the risk uh, for us. So we've selected an ecosystem that, in, at least in our opinion, is going to continue to grow like crazy in the next 10 years. And we've selected mobile and data analytics. And we didn't select any specific vertical. So we didn't select gaming or streaming or dating or, or anything else or payments or anything else. We've selected uh, to build a platform that will allow any app developer anywhere uh, to do a great thing and to innovate. So this is, this is what we had in mind. But really, maybe you can repeat the question. <laughs> I was just saying, you know, early on, did companies realize that they needed this? Now... I think everybody understands how they how they're going to need data, how important it is. But back then, it was a different world. Yeah, definitely. So companies thought that they measure 
so when we came into companies, they said, ah, we measure, we measure clicks, we measure uh, impressions, we measure CTR. And we're like, yeah, okay. And how do you measure return on investment? And how do you measure the lifetime value? And how do you measure all these these things? And I can tell you that uh, at the at the at, at the beginning, of the first couple of years, it was really uh, we had competitors, but we didn't really compete. It was really a huge blue ocean that uh, we've been working all the companies together. Um, on educating the market. Um, yeah. So I, no I actually one, made it. Yeah. I made an investment in, in in a company that was doing something similar back around when you guys were getting started. So I saw that opportunity and thought it was was uh, a, a wide open opportunity because of the the challenges with with the mobile attribution. Unfortunately, that company didn't wasn't able to execute. They pivoted in too many directions and 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 eventually ran out of money. But um, it. It was interesting how uh, how how challenging that mobile attribution uh, issue was back then, and, and obviously there's there's new challenges that come up with some of the privacy that's happening now. But I, I had one question on um, when you talk about the ecosystem and marketplace. So um, do do advertisers buy? through you or or do you are are you a service that sits uh, that on top of the publisher or are you something that the uh, advertiser buys directly as to, to complement to, to track I'm just curious how, how that works yeah, so a uh, good question so uh, we sell them the cloud software service uh, so basically they buy the software that allows them to do great thing in the ecosystem to collaborate with any one of our partners and to collaborate leveraging our integrations we're not sitting in the middle in terms of uh, you know, contracts, payments, what they do and what they don't do. We just provide kind of the really the ultimate uh, facilitator platform, APIs, analytics, business logic that they can configure and apply uh, on top of the data. And then on top of it, uh, they can make decisions on how to make payments because uh, many of the cases. So last year, we measured more than 40 billion US dollars in mobile ad spend. So basically how our customers allocated the budget and allocated the payouts is based on the data and the measurement that we provide to the ecosystem to both ends. Um, and then, you know, they can leverage that with different, you know, marketing clouds and, and, and different other partners uh, if they want. And then they have the flexibility to pick and select the right data points that they want to leverage. And also we allow privacy preserving kind of ways and integrations and aggregations uh, so they can continue uh, to collaborate with different companies in the ecosystem in a privacy preserving manner. So really, uh, I mean, moving back to your question, um, this is really kind of a platform. This is not, you know, like AWS and stuff like that. We're really adding business logic and, and software on top of it. So what the right way to think about it it's like CRM for consumer business. So once you have this CRM for consumer business, you can kind of work and collaborate with the entire ecosystem uh, based based on that and based on our universal SDK and APIs. Another aspect that we look at it is that we try to provide the minimum common denominator uh, that will allow the entire ecosystem to work together. So we only adding to the platform uh, things and functionalities that we are uniquely positioned to build. And everything else should go to the market uh, to, to build uh, on top of it. So we really in the, you know, fanatic about enabling innovation in the ecosystem. In, and then again, in order for, for us to do that, we don't want to compete on quality of engineers and stuff like that. Uh, and we don't want to, you know, build a product because it can be very profitable in the short term. Um, uh, we we really want to build something that no one else can, not because we have great engineers, just because of our unique positioning in, in, in the market. 
as you're going through that and, and that focus that you have um, has been, it sounds like it's really served you well as the, as the company's really successful now. Um, but it, but it is interesting to, to kind of take the path or look at the path not taken with that other company that I mentioned that I had invested in because they, because there was so much opportunity and so many different next shiny objects to go chasing in another direction. Um, I'm just curious how, how you, how you stayed so focused on the opportunity and, and weren't distracted by some of the tangential things. I think that this is a great question because the amount of opportunities for us uh, to generate more money, more revenue quickly in the short term, basically it's endless. Um, And from the beginning, we thought in order for us to, to do something meaningful in this ecosystem, we really need to maintain our naturality in this market and, and our independence and staying unbiased and really enabling innovation in this market. So we're not going to kind of compete with our partners in, in, in a pure, you know, you know, software building features. I, I I just don't believe in this. And I think that this is fundamental, for, for, at least for us. I can give you an example. Uh, at the beginning, we've been focusing on attribution. And attribution, by the way, attribution and measurement by itself, it's extremely complex. It's probably one of the most complex software that exists. I mean, you have one, maybe a couple of set of rules, but uh, 10,000 different exceptions. This is uh, and you need to consistently deliver. It's it's a mission critical platform. If 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 this platform going down for even one minute, I'm going to get phone calls from the CEOs of this entire planet. Uh, um, uh, and this is this is this is not something that 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 can can occur. And also accuracy of the data and, and stuff like that, because really uh, our com- our you know our Customers are making significant decisions based on that data. So just just doing that right, it's taken us 10 years and it's not done yet. So it's it's endless by itself. Now, I have patient and patient um, is, uh, you know, I I like languages, not that I know many languages, but in Hebrew, patient is savlanut. And Savlanut is from the verb uh, sevel, which is suffering. Because when you, when you have patient, um, it, it's, it by definition means that there is some suffering in the short term and the midterm, and investment for the long term. So yes, we had a lot of opportunities, but we said, okay, we're here for the really long haul. We, we, we need to measure every single decision that we're making in five and 10 years. And I want to be very specific about the time frame because for, when you say long-term, some people say, think it's two years. So I think that the minimum is five years and 10 years and then 20 years and then forever. And when you're thinking about forever, uh, uh, this is really liberating because you're really thinking about what's the most important thing um, and, and what is the vision of the company and what does the building blocks that of, 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 the, of the creation? Because hopefully, and this is the plan, that this company will continue to be there when I'm gone, like gone, gone. And then I ask myself, uh, will the, the fact that I, I helped build it, I, I started it with great group of people, am I, am I still proud? Of, of, of the creation. Um, and, and I want to imagine myself and I don't know, 30 years, 40 years from today, um, really feeling this pride and, and really sense of belonging to this creation. So if I meet one of our partners or customers or employees, we would love to meet each other and talk about the past and uh, both of us will feel that we've done every possible thing that we can in order to serve them and, and, and make them successful and not do something that uh, can interfere with this. Um, so let, let me let me ask you on that because so 
it's incredible to see somebody have that long, the long view, because in tech, the long view is not something we hear about a lot, <laughs> five years, 10 years, 20 years. We don't, um, it is often because things are so dynamic and changing so quickly, but you mentioned suffering and it sounds, one of the things that it seems like happened in the last few years is there's been a lot, a big shakeup in the mobile industry. IDFA, Apple, Apple's privacy changes really shook up the industry. And now it looks like you're going to go through similar things with, um, with Google and, um, uh, you know, very, very, you know, when I, when I first heard about these changes, People from my background in, in mobile came to were like, oh my God, this is going to kill companies like AppsFlyer. I wasn't so sure that it was going to kill companies like AppsFlyer, but I imagine that it caused a lot of suffering or at least a lot of, of thinking on your part. I'm curious, is it the long view that gets you through that? And how did you approach that? And how will you approach this next version of that with Google? Yeah, definitely. I think that this is a great question. And I think that this is a question every single company that decided to be in the digital ecosystem need to ask themselves an answer. Um, so first of all, uh, yes, there was a shakeup. And specifically, if, if, you, if you're talking about our, uh, our immediate competition, and maybe also to relate to the, to the previous question, for us, it was really radical to, fo to radical to focus on customers and staying independent and unbiased. Again, like a CRM. Um, so, along all the opportunities in the market, like building profiles and graphs and persona graphs and selling targeting data and building a net network and maybe having our own apps that will compete with our own customers. Our customers made all these mistakes. You know what? Maybe maybe in my view, it's a mistake and. This is great for them, and, and it's great that companies and people think differently about different things. Uh, we, we, we think differently, uh, and, and, and we look at things in the long term, um, and, uh, um, and we, didn't, we didn't want to impact the naturality in this, in this ecosystem. You know, if, if your vision is, is to make more money, it's, it's not really a vision. I think that this is, this is kind of the turning point downhill in the long haul. I mean, I don't think that any company vision can be make more money uh, or maybe say something else and, and this is the intention or whatever it is. Uh, but for us is to really enable uh, uh, a better and safer digital experience to people. So every single move uh, that is actually taking us one step towards that vision of enabling a better, safer digital experience to everybody, this is great for us. Now, I think that Apple uh, uh, shakeup in the end of the day, if you look at, uh, if you look at that from the uh, end user's uh, experience, I think, that, I think that this is great. I mean, you can talk about the way, you can talk about the collaborative, and this is something that Google is putting in front of them, which is great. Well, let, let me I'll take you a couple of years uh, backwards. We realized that we operate in the most dynamic, rapidly changing industries ever created. And working in this environment, you, you, you try to predict the future. Um, and in this environment, predicting, predicting the future is not something doable. And, and we've been thinking about what's never going to change. What is never going to change in 10 years from today, in 2030 and in 2040? And we came up with four different things. Security and privacy, accuracy of the data that we provide to our customers, customer obsession, and enabling innovation. So specifically for privacy, this is something that we have in front of us for many years. So obviously the changes of Apple and Google now is done, didn't came as a surprise. Obviously we didn't know all the details, yada, 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 but uh, we really saw ourselves as, as, as someone that do not have interest in media and media selling and profiling because this is what we don't do that. Uh, we are in the business of collaboration. Now, if you think about collaboration, and measurement, and if you think about the web and mobile app, the entire collaboration of this entire ecosystem was based on cookies and identifiers. 
both users and leverages user-level data. And when you collaborate based on user-level data, you are creating privacy concerns. And then we ask ourselves, how can we you know, put all the regulations and, and guidelines aside for a minute? Let's entirely focus on the end user. What is the right thing for the end user? And then we came up with uh, great innovations uh, like aggregated advanced privacy, conversion modeling, SK360, uh, predictive analytics, web to app measurement. Um, and we also released uh, a couple of months ago the privacy cloud and data cleanroom, um, which, is, which is really aiming to enable privacy preserving ecosystem collaboration. We also announced a uh, partnership with Intel on the uh, uh, privacy enhancing. Uh, technologies like homomorphic encryption and PSI, private set intersection. Um, and I think that putting everything aside, and, and this is what I told the team, put everything that we've built aside and just think purely about the ecosystem and think purely about people and what, and, and what, is, what can we do in order to enhance great value, great user experience, and great privacy for everybody, for all of us. Um, again, I mentioned languages, and here I prefer the English word software. It's soft. And it also means that you cannot fall in love with the product. You need to fall in love with the vision. You need to fall in love with the customer and build that software. It's soft and you need to iterate on it. Um, and it's really, it's, it's really hard because when you're saying, when you're telling people, hey, don't fall in love with the product that you just built, uh, uh, it's hard because there is a kind of an emotional connection. Uh, but sometimes you need to do things differently. And, and that's great because everything that you've done took you all the way uh, here. And then what's the next step given everything? And again, let me just maybe summarize this just a little bit. Uh, we had this invariance framework, things that are never going to change. This is, again, privacy is not going to go away. It's going to be there in 2030. 20, I uh, can promise you that. Uh, we think that we can predict to some extent regulations and changes and platform changes if we entirely focus on people and what's the right thing for people, build the right software and technology for that, leverage the, the massive ecosystem footprint that we have, both with consumer companies, the largest brands that you can think of, and the largest platforms such as Google and Facebook and, and Apple search ads and TikTok and Snapchat and, 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 and all of them. Um, and really creating something that can extend the value and experience to consumers and, and preserve their privacy. Another example is the SKAD network. If SKAD network, for the listeners that don't know, um, it's kind of a framework that Apple presented with the Apple track with the uh, app tracking transparency framework. Um, but basically, what Apple delivered and, and built is kind of a six bits of mechanism for, for collaboration. Now, with the six bits of information, it can do multiple things. Uh, but the thing is that everybody kind of need to speak the same language. And we, we took the responsibility to make sure that the entire ecosystem is kind of maximizing this very limited six bits of information. Six bits, it's very limited, it's just 64 cases or data points that you can deliver, um, very limited. Um, and I can tell you that it was very successful. And today, um, uh, the entire market is, is operating on kind of the same framework. Uh, because again, once, once an app is encoding the six bits of information, it needs to work with all the Facebooks and the Googles of the world. So, so I want to ask a question that kind of zooms back out to the kind of pr probably from the listener's perspective with these changes. One of the things that, that um, will be pretty important is uh, 
one of the things that really drove you, I think, in the business in the beginning is this idea of, of uh, visibility to track return on investment. And um, I think, I've, at least from my perspective, it seems like that that visibility has has gone down in the short term as as it becomes harder to track return on investment. Um, you can you can correct that assumption in a second, but here's the question: is as that visibility goes down, are you seeing ad rates, mobile ad rates drop or increase? Um, I could see a case for both of them that ad rates would go up as people just say, I can't track it anyway, just throw a whole bunch into it. Or ad rates might go down because I'm not going to spend if I don't know for sure that I'm uh, getting a return on investment. So if you can you give a little bit of visibility there and where you see that affecting ad rates and, and visibility and the return on investment? Uh, unfortunately, I cannot provide you with one answer. I think that <laughs> okay. everything, <That's> okay. everything <laughs> that you said is correct. Um, and again, maybe I can even challenge what is higher and lower because for some companies paying $10 or $30 or even $100 for user acquisition cost is, is good because they can make more money out of it. And uh, for some other companies, maybe it's only $1 or whatever it is. So it's really depending on the ROI. Does it impact ROI? Yes, it does, because you cannot measure it in the same way with the same level of confidence. So before this change, and now I'm talking about only in iOS, before the change, you had a lot of confident companies companies uh, made significant decisions with a lot of confidence that they can invest one dollar and get two dollars out of it, uh, which which was great. And now they have less confidence because the ecosystem became much more complex. So you have different kind of measures. So now you have incrementality and you have conversion modeling and aggregated advanced privacy and the measure of SKA network. And by the way, all these measures are, are measured in silo. So if you look at the SKA network, it's really siloed from uh, the users that actually consented uh, in the ATT framework. So we just recently introduced a single source of truth to exclude these users from SKA. This is... This is the, 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 it was extremely complex, and now it's ten times even more, maybe a hundred times more complex. Uh, so, if the confidence went uh, lower than before, definitely yes. If the prices went higher or lower, it's really dependent on the ones that actually making the investment. Um, I think I've, I've got to assume time. that they're going lower if you look at Facebook's recent uh, earnings report, and uh, as they are earning less, that would tell me that demand has dropped. And, and usually when demand drops, prices drop. But I don't have the visibility to know that for sure. Yeah, because I mean, uh, I saw Facebook said that they're, they expect their sales to be impacted $10 billion in 2022 just on Apple's change. So I imagine it's... I think that it just takes a little bit more time um, to recover. And I'm very careful to, to say because I think that by leveraging the privacy cloud and the data cleaning concept, uh, the recovery can come very quickly. Um, and, and by the way, any kind of concepts like that. Um, um, so, you know, and I don't want to refer specifically to Facebook, and I think that this is true in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the way it's, it's it a good works, barometer, I think, of the whole market, though. To some extent, yes, but uh, the market is pretty significant and uh, dynamic, and I think it will change that for sure. So, um, so for for your success, sorry, Ethan, just one more in there. So, for your success, do you think it's a matter of trying to get back to the visibility that we had before, or is it simply if you can provide better visibility than any other solution out there, then then you are the significant player in the in the marketplace and the ecosystem, and and you can help a lot more success. But we'll never get back to those visibility levels that we had before. What, what's what's sort of your feeling? Uh, so, I believe not. That you know what I know because it's actually operational that you can get the exact same insights from the data 
without sharing user level data with each other. So Facebook can work or any other, any other company can work with any consumer brand company, work with them in this data clean room concept that would not share user level data with each other. It means that the privacy of the users is preserved. You, you, do not have in, you do not have a chance to uniquely identify any user in this data set. But the computation happens in this trusted data cleanroom environment. And only the insights are shared with both parties. So the quality of decision-making is the same. Privacy is 100 times better. And not only that it's 100 times better than cookie and, and, and identifier and an identifier format, uh, it, it's better than any other user-level data anonymization. Because when you are anonymizing, you have two options. Whether re-identification is fairly easy or you need to strip so much data out of the user to the level that it's not something that you can use. It's not something that of value for decision-making. So really, the aggregation um, is the way to go in terms of uh, in terms of privacy. Now you know we need to talk about privacy budgets or aggregations and what kind of aggregation is good enough for privacy. Yada 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 yada. And you think that this is the market? You need to uh, need to uh, need to discuss and and uh, and decide on that. I mean, and, and and by the way, I don't even talk about the abstract privacy cloud, the data clean room. They they can be different other companies, and and we encourage. A competition on that front. Um, uh, what we suggest is something that is flexible enough for the companies to decide what is the right thing for their customers so they can build it on top of it. They can build, bring their business logic or leverage the business logic that we've provided and built in the last 10 years and also set the data governance and compliance that they want to comply with. So some companies maybe uh, uh, would like to have better compliance or even better aggregations, and 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 maybe to use some, you know, cryptographic uh, uh, technologies in specific uh, maybe sensitive data points, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they can define it. They can run it on a trusted environment that both companies can uh, can can share that as a CRM and use only the insights. Data cleanroom concept is something that is used in other verticals. So if you think about, I don't know how the if if if, if the listeners are actually aware of the concept. So let's maybe I'll give an example. Think about two hospitals that want to collaborate on healthcare records. Obviously, one way for them is to just share records, anonymize, no names, no SSN, stuff like that. But they can re-identify you because the record is really identifying you. So they can strip out the data, obviously not good. So what? why don't they put their data in a trusted server so they can analyze it and make sure that the server never leaves user-level data records, only aggregations. And let's say a good aggregation would be 1,000 people. And you never let, get uh, uh, user-level data uh, uh, exchange between the two companies. And this is what we have in mind. And then the question is, what is the business logic? What is the measurement? What is the kind of kind, the kind of analytics that you want to apply on this data? Stepping back from, I mean, it's amazing. And like you think about clean rooms and all this, I mean, there's, it's amazing where you will be able to take the technology. I think you have a team of over 1,400 people now, so quite a large company. How did you, how did you lead them through the, through this changing environment? And how do you how do you make sure that it's the vision that stays in focus and you don't lose sight of that as these big threats or big challenges come up? Yeah, so I think that, first of all, being very open and honest uh, about the challenge. I think that as a company, we've been practicing change and challenges in the last couple of years, specifically in the last two years, I think COVID and then that. Uh, this is something that we are talking internally in the company that every change and every challenge is an opportunity. I encourage people to think about their personal life, their personal challenges, and their personal relationships. So tell me there, if there is one person in the world that do not have challenges in relationships. So this, these people probably do not have relationships because once 
and, and tell me one company, one business that do not have challenges. All the companies have challenges. Now, the question is, how do you take this? Do you leverage that and think about the opportunities that presented in front of you? Or are you just uh, letting fear and anxiety to rule? And I think that uh, we've been practicing it over and over and over again because this is the only way to survive this ecosystem. This is the only way to survive the digital ecosystem. This ecosystem changes rapidly, whether you like it or not. I'm here because I really like it. And the, 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 the only if it, 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 it boils down to the ability of companies to be agile. And Darwin said that, right? So not the smartest and not the strongest, but the most agile species we survive. And I think that he was referring to the digital ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. So, so this was and still is one of the core components for us as a company. And I think that everything, any other company need to kind of... Uh, 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 think about it and practice it. Um, and, and you know what? I saw so many uh, people in the company that was that they had a lot of challenges. And if you think about it, uh, 1,500 people in, in the company in 20 countries. Uh, well, we see a lot of people challenges. And I think that uh, what we've seen is people taking their challenges and, and seeing them as opportunities. I, I can have a lot. Of, maybe we can have a podcast on it. Um um, I think that this is this is this is amazing. And again, we are in the business of software. We're not in the business of real estate. We're not building buildings. I don't need to uh, make uh, uh, huge bets. In the end of the day, um, it's soft. And uh, if we don't fall in love uh, with the products, and we fall in love with the vision, and we fall in love with the ecosystem customers, I think that we can do great st- great things. And I think that having a great vision is something that uh, people f- find. Uh, uh, meaning in their work and meaning in their challenge. And it was very, very difficult and, and challenging two years. I mean, in 2020, when Apple introduced uh, uh, iOS 14 in June 2020, uh, Apple felt like uh, Apple support center. We had hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of calls of uh, worried customers and partners about the changes and what we're going to do and can we talk with Apple and can we, you know, do a lot of other stuff to to, to, to help them survive this, this massive change. So, yes, you can take it in the wrong way, I believe, and you can take it in the positive way. I mean, companies looking at us as someone that can solve their problems and uh, uh, mitigate that risk and, and help them grow and, and we take it with both hands. What, what's better than that, that uh, having uh, phone calls of customers telling you, hey, we have this significant challenge, can you help us? I think that this is amazing and uh, uh, and we love it. I love it and, uh, uh, and I think that the people here that come and join the company also love it, I hope, because if not, uh, they're in the wrong business. I mean... <laughs> I th- Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it. It's interesting that you um, that you look that you look at the bigger challenges of the company at sort of that micro level with your employees and their own personal challenges. I actually, just as I was kind of prepping for this conversation, I was seeing that you have like I think about thirty employees in Ukraine, and we're going through this crisis in Ukraine right now. And I imagine that um, you know obviously that's a much different level of crisis and challenge, but um, it does seem like a company that's that has its has a a really good long-term vision and then uh, thinks about the challenges over the long-term would help, you know, it'd be very helpful for, you know, having that same view for its employees and a short view and a long view. Definitely. I think that, I think that, you know, you can say customer obsessed and you can say a lot of things, but in the end of the day, it starts and ends with the employees and uh, how uh, inspired they are uh, to take these big challenges. And, and supporting them in their growth, personal growth and career growth, uh, giving them the right tools and environment. I think that people are a product of their environment. And and and, and if you provide people with great environment, diversify opinions, diversity, and, and you know what, just to allow them to be themselves, to allow them to not know things and to allow them to make mistakes 
and and again i'm moving back to the most elementary thing which is kind of stupid is to be themselves and it's really hard it's really easy to say it's really hard to implement what it is what does it mean to be the, to be myself and and i can tell you that it take me it took me a lot of years and many 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 years um and only maybe in the last couple of years i realized what it really is maybe i think what it is but uh if you ask me i feel it um uh because if i want people to be themselves and act naturally and be not embarrassed to make mistakes i need to act the same way and if i act the same way and i uh, be honest about my truth maybe it's not the ultimate truth maybe you're going to have different truth um and if i allow myself to make mistakes and sometimes i do typos on slack and stuff like that and people hey you had typo and i'm like okay you know everybody have typos and that's perfectly okay because people will feel comfortable sharing their opinion even if they don't have perfect english even if uh, uh english is not their mother tongue and i think that this is this is critical and i keep the typo there uh um and this is another way uh, also to make sure that employees and people know that CEOs and management and board members are just normal people. And, and if they see these people as normal people like, like, like them, they will act naturally and will allow themselves to think about the market challenges and how can we mitigate them. And uh, in the end, they... They provide the solutions. They work with the the partners. They work with the customers, and they provide the feedback back to the product and back to engineering. and And how can we enable them to be really all in and and to be motivated um, and to really feel and act like a founder? This is one of our beliefs. and And how can you enable them to really feel and act like a founder? Um, is 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 really hard, um, but it starts and ends that they will just be themselves and and provide their point of view. Yeah, on that theme of mistakes, uh, when you look back, I mean, the, the company's been around now for for um, you know over a decade. Um, when you look back, are there any mistakes that that you've had to course correct that stand out of? Uh, you know, obviously, obviously, there's no company killing mistakes up to this point, but. Um, it's it's almost impossible to have a, a flawless journey, mistake free along the way. So, is there is there any um, areas that that really stand out that uh, you wish you would have spotted something sooner, or or a mistake that you want to uh, highlight that you made along the way? One of the things that uh, that allowed me in the last couple of years, specifically in the last two years, to take some time to myself to disconnect, um, think, read and to use a lot of imagination. I wish I had the time, maybe I, sh- maybe I had, maybe I had time to do that in the past, but uh, because, uh, you know, at the beginning you do so many things, and you know, the early days, uh, when you go to sleep, the company is going to sleep and there is no customer service, nothing, right? So um, uh, that's one. Um, another framework that I recommend uh, I always recommended my managers and people that I work with, but I also say to myself is letting yourself go from the position, uh, writing a job description uh, for your replacement, um, thinking about the current challenges and the future challenges, and then s- sleep on it one night, wake up and say, okay, this is me. And I promise you that that there is a gap between the, when the company needs that position uh, and where you at, um, and that's okay because the company is growing fast. And now the question is, how can we keep this gap from not growing? Maybe shrinking, but not growing too much. Um, and I I do this practice myself. If I do that often enough, maybe maybe I could do more because this is really kind of helping you analyzing you. You probably you are the best person to analyze you if you have the right mindset and if you have the right time to actually go ahead and do it and be very honest with yourself and saying, okay, that's okay. Here I'm doing okay and here not really. And now what 
should I do in order to improve that? So I think that I think I, I've been doing it, and I think that this is how I grew. Uh, and 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 by, by 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 the way, most of the the team here and the management are here for six, seven, eight, nine years, uh, starting from you know doing everything. I mean, pretty everybody started from junior positions, you know. So including That's great. myself, you've been able so. to retain the team. Yeah. It's retain and grow. It's not retain. It's, it's yeah. really, really grow. And every single day, every week, every quarter, every year. Um, and that's really hard because so many reasons. But there are a lot of advantages, also disadvantages that you need to work on. Um, but, uh, yeah. I think uh, that's probably a good place for us to uh, wrap up as we're running uh, short on time. But I, we always ask one question um, to, to wrap up. And I wanted to ask you. What do you feel like you understand about growth now that maybe you didn't understand as well a couple of years ago? That it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the best answer we've had yet. <laughs> yeah. And I love I love the long pause before the very simple answer. <laughs> It's yeah. hey, hey, Sean, uh, have you noticed that too? <laughs> I have noticed that too. Um, so no, that's great. And I, I just want to share a couple of my key takeaways because I think there's some some really great ones here. And so um, the the biggest is is you know as you as you kind of reference Darwin along the way and the agility that's needed to to survive and and thrive. You know, my my initial instinct going into this call was boy, I would hate to be where you guys are. This sounds really like a tough place to be. But as you've, as you've talked through it and your conviction that um, your conviction that the same decision level, your same uh, ability to make great decisions are, are on the horizon or may uh, maybe already here with apps flyer. But if, if that's the case and the complexity has increased significantly, then that actually puts you guys in a great place because now your solution is more critical than ever. If, if, because you know, from from the early days when you started with attribution, um, it was a really hard problem, but it was a problem that was starting to be solved in many ways. And this has brought in a lot of new challenges to where I think the 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 solution uh, that that is needed for today's challenges in a in a more privacy. Uh, centric world is is one that um is is probably a lot more of a, a winner takes all um in and so you know if that's if that's the path that things are on then then you guys are in a great place so i, I appreciate you sharing the journey that you've you've taken to get to this point because it um i think it it, it would be easy to diversify and say in the worst case scenario, this would happen. And so let's get other parts of our business going. But you stayed really uh, true to the problem. And I think you're you're in a place where a lot of uh, companies are going to really be able to benefit because they've got great solutions and they need to cost effectively get them to their to their customers and, and hopefully do it in a privacy friendly way. Yeah, maybe just uh, just to add on that. Uh, thinking about the future, I, I really want to mention the metaverse, not the meta company, but the metaverse as a concept. And I think that uh, in the end of the day, the decision is very simple, at least for us. Um, and, and, and I think that there's one thing that we can all agree on. I mean, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg shared this vision, Tim Sweeney shared this vision for the metaverse for, you know, a couple of years. Um, uh, and I think that there is one thing that we can all agree on is that, uh, uh, the metaverse or the web, whatever, is really dependent on interoperability and collaboration of the entire ecosystem. So it's not going to be owned by one company, one major thing. Um, so if we believe two things, it's two assumptions and two things that privacy is here to say and collaboration is a critical building block of the future, uh, we need to have privacy preserving technology to collaborate. And this is basically what we want to build. We want to build that infrastructure that allows collaboration in a privacy-preserving way. Simple as that. And even if the metaverse is going to be this vision or that vision or whatever it is, two components, privacy and collaboration. And this is what we want to enable. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I just want to also mention, as you've gone through this, you keep talking about the future and trying to predict the future, which is so hard. Um, but I thought what's what stood out for me is that the whole time you've mentioned that 
as you look at the future, there are things that you look at as these are the things we know to be true that won't change. You said privacy, accuracy, customer obsession, and enabling innovation. Those are things that won't change for you. I think knowing what, what won't change is really a good way to stay grounded on the things that will, as you go through the things that will change. So it's been really interesting to chat with you, Or. Yeah. Th- thank you, Orrin. Uh, fantastic conversation. And uh, for everyone tuning in, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.